Hey B2B leaders, welcome to Yours in Marketing. I'm Blake Emmel. On today's inaugural episode, I speak with the fearless CEO of Directive Consulting and my friend, Garrett Mergut. This episode should give you an idea of what we're trying to build here on the Yours in Marketing podcast. You'll also get a glimpse into Garrett's backstory as well as my own. Subjects include company culture, motor scooters, cross-country moves, and other shenanigans. Ready to hop in? For this episode, we really want to get into what this is all about and why it's different, why you should want to listen to this as a B2B leader. It's going to be a little unique. You're going to get thoughts from people in a way that maybe you haven't before, and it's not going to be a tactic show. It's not going to be about the 13 most important things you have to do to improve your SEO in 2019. It's not like that. It's going to be a lot more, hopefully, interesting and unique. And we're going to really get into the minds of our guests. But for this episode, we want to introduce you to the format of the show and to us. So I actually want to interview Garrett a little bit, get to know him, his background, and then he'll do the same for me. And we'll talk about the format of the show as well. And then upcoming, we've got some great interviews lined up. So first of all, unusual last name. How's it pronounced? Mayor Goot. So Mayor Goot. My grandma's last name was Good, and she married my grandpa, and his last name was Mary Good. So she went from good in German to more good. What are the chances? Yeah, in German, that literally means more good. My last name is actually also German. It's pronounced Emil. Used to be Immel. Changed it when they moved over to America. So Garrett, let's talk a little bit about how you started Directive, getting back to the roots of it all, and then we'll bring it full circle to where we are now. So tell us the story behind the founding of Directive. Yeah, so this is going to surprise a lot of the listeners, but at 21 to 22 years old, you're not just compounded and filled to the brim with vision. So the way it really started was I applied to Boston, Bain, and McKinsey and these different consulting firms. I was going through this application process. And the big guys, the big gals of consulting, they have custom application portals. And in those portals, you have to apply, right? And you, so you find your university as part of your application process. And I couldn't find one. Like Azusa Pacific University, or as those who don't go there know it, Apu, is not the most popular university for big five consulting firms. And so I'd apply as other. I essentially got an auto response. And I was like, no way. Like, there is no way. I'm good enough to do this. I can do this. I got my degree in economics in three years. I was captain of the soccer team. You want high performers. I'm a high performer. I did my master's in a year. I'm like working five jobs right now. I can do this. And then I got this auto response essentially saying, you're not good enough. You didn't go to this school. And I think that kind of stuck with me too with the way we hire talent here at Directive of like, it's not about your resume. It's about your character. And it's about your work ethic. It's about your principles. It's about your values. But I took that. I was like, you know what? Forget those guys and forget those companies. I'm going to start my own consulting firm. And then they're going to have to buy me one day or something. But I'm going to do this. And then after I got off my pedestal, I had to be like, okay, what am I actually going to consult on, right? Like, what do I actually know enough of at 21 or 22? And then it was a little less about what I knew and a little more about what people thought I knew. And that's how I could do sales, essentially. That's how I could get customers. I knew that older men and women who were leaders in business and other places, they didn't know the internet and they were looking at younger generations to help them with the internet. I was like, okay, well, I've got the younger generation part down. I should just learn the internet. So I went out there and read everything that Moz had written, everything WordStream, PPC Hero, Distilled, 
Fear Interactive, like all the blogs out there, I just kept reading and reading. Like, I mean, literally, I think I went back and I read every blog post Moz had ever written. I was just reading hours and hours and hours. I was doing my MBA. I was doing an independent contractor work for a couple people. I was selling social media calendars on Fiverr for $5. That's how I learned how algorithms work, actually. I was on Fiverr. And I figured out, okay, how do you get on the home main page of Fiverr? And I figured out how to do the tags and my keyword titles and kind of how their really basic search engine worked. So I started like learning all these things. I was like, oh my gosh, what if you do that for Google? Until one day I was driving around, I was on my moped because obviously I had tons of money when I started this thing. <laughs> I think I started with $20, but I was driving my 1978 Peugeot 103 SP. It's actually in the lobby of our current office in Orange County. And I was driving that around, handing out flyers. And I found a Mediterranean restaurant. I loved his product, mainly because I had his chicken shawarma all the time. Great product. All right, I knew the people could get behind this product. I was very much behind this product. And so I was like, hey, look, you have no Facebook page. You have no Yelp. I can make you those things. I can't make a website yet, but I can make you those things. I can hand out flyers. I can hustle for you. We should probably clean up the place a little bit. Here's something we can do. And I was consulting. I was helping this guy be more successful with his business. Did that for 30 days. Came in and said, hey, it's been a blast. Uh, I'd love to get my check. You know, it's been a fun time working this 30 days. He said, oh, no worries, man. No worries. I forgot my checkbook today. Come back tomorrow. Came back the next day and the entire place was boarded up. So that is how <laughs> directive started. So it wasn't some grandiose vision. It was some stupid 21, 22-year-old driving around on a moped, handing out flyers, getting stood up from his first account. And now, right, I got the moped in the lobby and I framed that contract with the grease stains up in my office just to remind me and stay humble. Like this is where we started. And it's about doing the right thing for the right people and trying to be better every day, right? And that's when kind of this little mantra of mine, which was learn, engage, create. That's when it started. So if I could learn something new every day and engage with it from practicing it on a client, writing it down, leaving a comment on that blog post, I could create more value for myself and for our clients. So just learn, engage, create. And that's kind of what's allowed us to go from a $20 agency who had no clue what they're doing and selling $5 social media calendars on Fiverr to where we're at today. And we're only just getting started. And it's cool. So I'm sure along the way, once you knew that Directive was going to be an actual company, that you were going to get real clients consistently, I'm sure you still hit your roadblocks after that point. Could you talk a little bit about maybe if there was a time where you thought maybe Directive wasn't going to make it? Oh my gosh. I don't think about that anymore. We have so much talent and we're starting to capture the right market share. We have our positioning right. We're working really hard, like the team, great culture. I don't worry about us not making it anymore. Currently, it's like, can we make it faster? Because I have a tendency to want to go too fast and I'm learning to slow down a little bit, actually. And when you slow down, sometimes you go even faster. It's crazy. But roadblocks, I mean, when we started, I remember I was working 6 to 9 a lot. 6 a.m., 9 p.m., because I was hosting these meetups or I was speaking at all these meetups, and every day would felt like a roadblock. One of the first, I don't know if it's a roadblock, but like a wake-up moment, I was in this Uber, which I could barely afford, and I was like, I really can't afford a DUI. I was going out with some friends. It was, I think I was 23, 22, and he was telling me how he did SEO. I'm like, oh my God, I do SEO too. And I was like, dude, I have a question. How much do you charge for SEO? Because at this time, I didn't know a lot about the industry, the market. I was trying to go to conferences. I was trying to ask other agency leaders, like, how much do you charge? And I was charging $400 a month. And I was so scared to charge more. And I'm like, I'm going to lose clients. What if we're not worth it? And this guy who, frankly, honestly, had no knowledge of SEO. I started to get into the weeds with him and the fun stuff. And he didn't have the passion for SEO. He didn't have the knowledge of SEO. He didn't have the team I had. And he was like, yeah, you know, at least 2K a month, minimum. And I was just shell-shocked. I was like, 2K? You can charge that? 
And he's like, yeah? He's like, how much do you charge? 400 He starts laughing. And I'm like, okay, I guess I need to charge more. And so that was a roadblock because when you don't charge a lot, by the way, you can't hire the greatest talent. When we first started, my roadblocks were more just around learning to manage people and also learning how to manage people that I frankly wasn't paying a lot because we frankly weren't making a lot. And so the talent here at Directive is a blessing. I'm grateful every day about how much sharper and smarter people are than I am at what they're doing. It wasn't the case when you first start. You're working with a lot of people who frankly don't know a lot and they're learning too. And some of them might not even be the greatest. You're also not great at hiring at first. So you're hiring people who might not have the greatest character, might not have the greatest drive. My roadblocks were like being CC'd on emails where my account manager was misspelling someone's name. That just hurts. You have these big dreams, this big vision of what you're trying to accomplish, and it's big for you. You're trying to afford like 100 a month. You want to get to 2K a month. That's big at that time, right? Like that's 5X price increase. That's a big thing at the time. And people can't spell the client's names right. Those are the roadblocks where you're just sitting there and you just want to cry because you know, I'm not going to fail. I can do this. I'm going to succeed. But your reality doesn't look like success. You're sitting there in this warehouse where we started, where they're doing judo classes downstairs. They're slamming bodies off the ground. And you're in a warehouse where it's leaking. So you have to put a bucket by your desk so that it catches the water, right? We're paying $150 for our desk and we don't know if we can afford it. We saw WeWork and we're like, oh my God, I wonder if one day we could afford a WeWork. We're like in the lowest of the low. And you're going through all this, trying to stay positive. That's the struggle. When you don't want to fail so bad, but your reality is the most likely thing is definitely failure. And like getting through that, that's the hardest part for sure. Well, what about your current roadblocks? What's difficult for you right now? Oh man, right now the most difficult spot is realizing that when you're managing, you know, I think we're at 60 plus people now. And when you're trying to lead that many people is your energy matters. My current roadblock is myself. I don't think we can start to look at others and say others are the roadblock. I think when we start internally, right? We internalize where we're at personally and look at really transparently, then that's when you grow. I'm my biggest roadblock right now. How do I stay positive when you lose a $15,000 a month client and then hop on a podcast 10 minutes later? How do you keep your energy right? How do you keep your focus right? And be like, it's okay. We can go get another, right? We can keep growing. We've built something special. And so, you know, my roadblocks is really learning and developing that it's not what I do anymore. It's how I do it. And that's so important because it used to be for me about, okay, I'm going to write four blog posts this week. I'm going to work on these three accounts. I'm going to sell these five deals. I'm going to do all these things. Look at what I'm doing. Kind of like really, frankly, just immature as a leader, as my value is in myself as an individual contributor. To transition now to where it's, you no, know, my value is how I empower everyone else around me and how I go about that. It's not about what I get done each day. It's okay if you don't actually get anything done in the day, but you honored and valued or had one key conversation with one influential person, whether they're the front desk person at Directive or whether it's an account manager. And if I had that right conversation in that right moment, that's my day. That's my value. And learning that that's the focus, that's where I'm trying to make myself not the roadblock by learning how to be a better leader to the men and women here. And I think that's the biggest focus. Other than that, current Roblox is obviously keeping accounts. We're no longer the cheap vendor. And so when you have a valuable service that is also priced to that value, there's always people who can be cheaper than you. And so if you don't actually live up and create that value for somebody, it's very easy to turn an account because frankly, now you're expensive. Valuable and expensive, there's a really, really fine line in between. And you have to bring it as a culture as a team on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis to keep accounts when you want to be a market leader, when you want to have premium pricing, 
when you want to have a premium service, everything has to be exceptional. And so my current roadblocks are figuring out where the culture that, frankly, I'm in charge of, that I'm leading and I'm helping develop and that I'm helping to create internally, that that culture is about creating wins for the clients and that the culture is bulletproof so that we can have an economic disruption. We could have a service disruption. We can have an internal disruption. We can lose an account that doesn't affect the culture. And in fact, it just makes us stronger. We keep learning from it, right? We do a better postmortem. We learn more from why that client left us. And as we do all those things, that allows us to grow. So my current roadblocks are really just figuring out what in the culture is holding the team back and how can I create a culture that more empowers the team to keep getting better and keep growing. You touched on this a little bit, but I would like to know what's next for the future for Garrett, for Directive. What's next? What's next? I mean, I don't know. I had to get a new book. I always like to say that your output directly correlated to your inputs. And so when I start running out of ideas, I just go crazy on Amazon. I just buy more books. If I read and I read and I read, right? If I learn, engage, create, my next idea is obvious because you're so in your organization, right? You know your problems, you know these things. But sometimes the solutions, the next steps, that big vision isn't so obvious. So one of the things we're doing is we're launching an innovation department. I'm super excited about this. So we're going to be taking a percentage of our total revenue and putting it into innovation. We took one of our rock stars, Brian Bowie. He's going to be leading this department. We just built this quality control system where we have in SQL, right? We can see every one of our clients, every one of the account managers, everyone of the specialists, everyone who's working on that. And it actually is in SQL. And so you can see insights and in a dashboard. You can see in real time how everyone's performing year over year, period over period across every one of our core KPIs for every one of our clients from every person on that account individually as well. It takes the politics, right? When you take it's a results-only culture and someone's not doing well, you can just have a conversation about that. It doesn't matter if they've been here for 30 years or three months. You can have a conversation about performance, not about, oh, well, I like to golf with this guy or I'm best friends with her. It's really just about, okay, does it work good or bad? Let's develop. How can we make it better? So that's one of the cool things we're doing. I think that's what I'm pretty excited about right now is building up this kind of innovation department because then it allows individual departments like SEO and PPC to focus on just doing world-class work. Love it. All right. Well, hopefully you got the passion coming across for you from Garrett's side. He's a powerhouse. He's taking care of business. I would love to give him a chance to interview me a little bit. So the audience might not know this, but you drove from Florida yes. to California. That's correct. While you were doing that drive, what was your go-to playlist? Okay. I actually listened to podcasts. There's a podcast called Myths and Legends that talks about myths in Greek mythology. So cool. Love that podcast. If I'm listening to music, it's going to be honestly just like top hits on Spotify. I'm not super in-depth into indie music. I don't know anything about music. I just like something that has a good beat that I can sing along to. So usually when I'm listening to music in the car, I'm singing really loud. That's kind of my go-to. So it's basically anything that's poppy. You I know. love it. Okay. So you're a big Ariana Grande guy. Oh yeah. Love the new album. So maybe a lot of our listeners have transitioned professionally. Was there a point in that drive where you had maybe a breakdown where you were just wondering, Hey, did I make the right choice with directive? And what was going through your mind? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a young family. There are a lot of moving parts when making a big decision like this. Living in Florida, there weren't a lot of opportunities there. I knew that there was something bigger for our family, for me personally out there. And I was looking at a bunch of different opportunities and actually was pretty close to moving to Boston instead of California, which is completely polar opposite. And I was able to discuss with my family, look at the opportunities. It was definitely a difficult decision to make. Not something that you do on a whim because it's change uprooting your entire life and moving to a new place. But when I came in contact with Garrett and also Tanner, the COO, I had some really good discussions that felt like they were going to empower me to become better, just like Garrett mentioned. And I feel like the culture is everything that he said when I was interviewing him. It is so collaborative and engaging, and it's also really reliant on talented, hardworking people. 
And I fit that mold, I believe. And so once I made the decision on the way over, I don't believe that that was a huge roadblock. I don't feel like I really stumbled over that decision once I made it, but definitely took a lot of guts to just pick what I was going to do. Well, I mean, I think we only had like a 10 minute conversation, right? That is correct. Like I knew the second I spoke with you, I was like, this dude's a rock star. But I think not to toot direct his harm, a lot of leaders like people in the executive space, they think of talent acquisition through their benefits, through kind of like all the shiny stuff. Was there any shiny stuff about Directive that you looked at or did that have nothing to do with it? I have a belief that a lot of people make benefits to attract people and they don't do benefits to honor their current people. And so they kind of make them a little bit more like ornaments on a tree than the actual substance. They have like this tree that's completely dead Mm -hmm. that looks like crap. Then they're like, look at all the shiny ornaments on this horrible, crappy tree. The tree's the culture, like the tree's the substance, but they focus on these ornaments. Like for you, what were you looking for? Not just in a directive, like were you looking for ornaments? Were there certain ornaments that did actually really matter to you? Did you completely ignore the ornaments? Like (laughs) what was that like for you? Let me give you some context. So I'm from Utah and Utah is actually kind of a small tech market right now. It's kind of booming with tech jobs and a lot of marketing jobs as well. And the companies there, their go-to move to build culture is to put a ping pong table in immediately. I have one of those. What are you trying to say, Blake? No, I mean, I love <laughs> I love ping pong, let me tell you. But then they have all of these amenities, right? But that's not the culture. Those are amenities. The culture was rooted in the ping pong table. The culture wasn't rooted in the people. He mentioned I spoke with him and Tanner for 10, 15 minutes. And I think both parties knew at that point that it was the right decision. And the reason for that was because I knew already that they were fighting for me and that they had my back and were going to empower me. So ultimately, for me, the ornaments, the amenities, that's not what excites me. That's the cherry on top. Now, if I showed up here and there was no amenities, nothing, just Mm. you come to work, you do your work and you leave, then obviously that's not going to be great long term. You want to have a little bit of that fun. You want to have some of the amenities, but it's really about the people. It's easier to buy a pool table. That's true. Have to look at yourself internally and fix a bunch of stuff. (laughs) I think that is something hopefully for the listeners is it's not about what you can put on your job postings. It's about what happens when people show up and actually work there because retention is a heck of a lot more important than acquisition for both clients and people. Now, when you kind of got started in marketing, when was that first moment of joy where you had to call your significant other or your best friend at the time? When was that first moment of joy for you in marketing? That's actually a really poignant question because the reason that I stuck with marketing was because I'd been at other jobs, really not anything really corporate or anything, but that I just didn't feel like I made any kind of a difference and that it mattered what I did. There was nothing measurable. I wasn't improving anyone's life. And you can look at any job and maybe see it that way. But when I got into SEO to start out with, what I saw was, oh, well, there are actually people behind these accounts. And if I make them more money, they're going to be happier. Their family's going to be happier. I know I want to make more money and I want my family to be happier. So why wouldn't I want that for the clients? And so I started working specifically with French clients in SEO, just doing optimizations. That was it. That was all that I knew how to do for like the first three months of doing marketing period. And we saw some great results just from some small basic optimizations. It was an amazing feeling because I didn't feel like, oh, I'm just bagging groceries. I'm just washing cars. Those things are great. Don't get me wrong. People need to do those things. But ultimately, I wanted to do something that actually made a difference and was fulfilling that I could tell that the other party was benefiting and had a better life because of what I did. One of those things, Blake, I know you you talked about was besides being awesome, you've done podcasts before, you've had your own podcast, you are world-class search marketing consultant, you live and breathe this stuff. I know our listeners are going to be super excited to hear not only the way you prepare for the podcast, the questions you ask, but also your insights 
but you're also a Utah sports fan. What is that like? I think people want to know, does it feel good? Is it difficult? Like, What's it like being a Utah sports fan? It's miserable in every single way. Being a Utah Jazz fan feels great. Jordan definitely pushed off in 98. We should have had that title. Not bitter about it at all. Being a BYU sports fan is horrible because we are never good. We never can recruit anybody. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely miserable. Thankfully, we don't have an NFL team, so I can support the Seattle Seahawks who have had marginal success over the course of time and a Super Bowl to go. So should have had two. And I think in closing, like, what are you most excited about in this podcast? What are you most excited? About? Frankly, here's what happens if you're in an industry like marketing is anytime something new and shiny comes along, you're like, yeah, we need to be doing that too. Hey, everybody's blogging. Obviously, to do SEO, we need a blog. By the way, I don't actually believe that. Or, hey, to do our marketing right, we need a podcast. Look at X, Y, or Z competitor. They're very successful. They have a podcast. We don't. Their success is probably from the podcast, right? And if you like actually talk to people at that really successful company and they're really honestly, it might not have anything to do with the podcast. So like if we took away all the marketing value, Blake, if we took away all the business value. Why are you still excited about doing podcasts? There's certainly a place for tactics and methods, right? That stuff needs to happen so that SEO workers can Google things on how to do their job, right? But ultimately, I'm excited about this because it's different. It's not going to be the tips that you need to know to hack your business. These are not growth hacks. I'm not going to do a listicle here right now and tell you the 10 best SEO tools. I will not do that. Neil Patel can do that. We're good. I really believe in this because it's interesting to hear from B2B leaders and just get inside their head because everybody or at least a lot of the people that are in their shoes or similar roles are going to feel and think the same things, but they won't vocalize it and to have their voice spoken and to have other thoughts that might be inspiring or helpful to other B2B listeners. That excites me a lot to have it in a different format where I don't just have to ask you, all right, how do I grow my business? I can ask you things that are more prying, that are more interesting because you're a human being. You're not just like some marketing robot. So that's what really excites me about it. I think we've got some great segments that we're going to provide as well. Ultimately, it's just going to be different and interesting as opposed to actionable and insightful. It'll be those things, but in a different way. I love it. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. What a blessing. And yeah, we can't wait, everybody. So this is yours in marketing and we're excited to grow together and make this the most interesting, engaging part of your day. All right. That's it, folks. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to Yours in Marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on interviews or tips from all of our fascinating B2B leaders. 